system, put them in myself, and there is no better feeling than putting that key in, a, in an ignition that didn't work before and turning that key and hearing it start right up. Am I right? Anybody who's worked on cars before, you know that feeling. But then 24 hours later, it stopped working again. So I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what I did. I don't know if I need to start saying my prayers more. But I'm not going to let it get me down. I'm not, because there's too many good things happening in life right now for it to get me down, right? right? The weather is beautiful, right? I have a Savior who loves me. I'm married to a beautiful woman, right? I have a church community that surrounds me with love and grace, right? And it's easy, right? It's easy to allow things like a Jeep not working or whatever might be happening in your life, those little things to tear us down and cloud our vision of how great it is to be human. It is really great to be human, to feel the warmth of the sun on your skin, to feel the laughter deep down in your stomach, to feel the love and the joy that you feel with family and friends. There's just something about human, being human, that is unique. And honestly, I think Jesus also in loved, also loved being human. I think he cherished it. I think he enjoyed every moment of it. And Jesus, he loved being with people. But one of the unique things about Jesus is that not only did he enjoy being with people, but people enjoyed being with him. Right? One of my favorite stories or snapshots in the Bible is at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, actually. It's the call of Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector sitting at his booth doing his job, not really what a Jewish male should be doing, but, you know, Jesus was attracted to those kind of people. And Jesus walks up to his booth in the middle of a workday. He says, Matthew, come, follow me. Leave what you're doing now and follow me. I'm going to introduce you to a new career path. And Matthew does it. And I imagine it happens a day, maybe even within the same day, Jesus turns to Matthew and says, Matthew, I want you to get all of your crooked friends together, because I know you have them, your coworkers. I want you to get all your crooked friends together, and I want to have a meal at your place. And Matthew does it, right? We, in the text, it says he has a meal with sinners and tax collectors. And who's the one that's grumbling? The religious people on the outside. Who's the one who hasn't complained and is sitting at the dinner table with Jesus? The sinners and the tax collectors. Now, there's not a shred of, there's not a, a single shred of doubt that these tax collectors would have known that everything that Jesus stood for. Because Jesus was very outspoken of the kind of people, what he was calling people into. People knew what Jesus stood for, and yet they still wanted to eat a meal with him. There's something remarkable to be said about Jesus. He drew people in because they were intrigued. They were intrigued with his life, his love for life. Now, however, that is not saying that Jesus was always filled with happiness, that he was always in high spirits. No, that would be too unreachable for us, wouldn't it? No, just like me and probably just like you, Jesus experienced highs, but he also experienced lows. And many people, they miss that image of Jesus. And, and some people, they even try to avoid it altogether. Because when we think of Jesus and we think of his life and we think of his ministry, what are the things that roll through our minds? Well, we think of him as he's the faithful servant of God, right? Yes, of course he is. Or, or we think of things like he's the powerful controller of nature and disease. He's the wise rabbi who teaches along the mountainside. 
He's the triumphant king who marches into Jerusalem. And all these images are right. In fact, in our series of Mark, we've been introduced to this kind of Jesus so far. Right? We've been introduced to the, the one that Isaiah has been prophesying about. Jesus is the one that, that John the Baptist was preparing for in the wilderness. Jesus is the one that heaven literally tore open for. And as we talked about last week, he is the one that has unique power and authority in his teaching in the synagogues. This is Jesus. This is the Jesus that we know and we love. But then, we have, in a jolting fashion, Mark ends the first chapter of his gospel by revealing a very different Jesus to us, his humanity, the human side of Jesus. Because as readers so far in this story, as we're reading through the gospel of Mark, we're reading through his telling of Jesus' story, we as the readers, we have come to the realization that this Jesus, Jesus is God in human skin. We have come to that realization. There's nothing that you can read, if you believe for what it is, there's nothing that you can read and mark up to this point that would make you think otherwise. This is God in human skin, but our eyes are about to be opened to a very different aspect of Jesus. Because while Jesus was 100% God, he was also 100% human as well. Now, don't get lost in that math. <laughs> Jesus was just different, and he could do these kind of things. But because Jesus embraced humanity 100%, think about that just for a moment. Because Jesus embraced his humanity 100%, Philippians chapter 2, that means Jesus experienced the loneliness and the scaredness and the tiredness and the anxiousness and the desperateness that I too often feel in my life as well. I don't know if you can relate, but there are times in my life whenever I feel a deep, dark agony living inside of me, feeling like it's clawing the inside of my heart and my mind and my gut, and it takes every fiber of my being to keep it from overwhelming me in anxiety and worry. Have you been there? It takes every ounce of my being to suppress it. Sometimes I'm consumed, and sometimes I can win just barely so I can feel normal, whatever that means. I need a Jesus. I need a God who can meet me there. I need a God who can relate to me on that level. Luckily, we have one. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 is where we're going to start in our text this morning. And this is a verse that you have probably read over a dozen times reading through Mark. And it probably meant, didn't mean as much to you. It just seems kind of a pass-through verse but it's going to reveal something pretty profound about Jesus. It simply reads, Mark chapter 135, And rising very early in the morning, I like Jesus already, he's a morning person, while it was still dark, very early morning person, Jesus departed, and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, for a moment, I want you to consider everything that has happened up until this point in our text. And it's everything that we have talked about so far in the Gospel of, of Mark. Right? Jesus had just finished proclaiming and preaching a profound message with authority and power in the synagogues and the towns. 
He had just pulled out a demon from a person who had been possessed by it. He had just brought a woman. He had healed a woman of a deathly disease. And Jesus had even taken in the request of an entire town. Jesus, at this point in our story, he had exhausted every ounce of himself to love and to be, and to be the person that these people needed him to be. And now he's tired. You see that? He's tired. He's empty. He has, he has nothing left to give these people. And so what does he do? He walks back into the wilderness to be with God. Now, I use that phrase very uh, meaningfully, right? He walks back into the wilderness because the word here, a desolate place, that word we have already seen in the Gospel of Mark, except this time the difference is that the Spirit is not having to lead Jesus into the wilderness but Jesus is going by his own volition. He knows he needs it. He needs to recharge. Here's what I want you to hear. Listen very carefully. The only way a man or a woman of God can be effective, the only way we can be effective in our walk with God and our ministry to others, if we are willing to take a step out of the rushing waters of life that we so often live in, and we find a way to recharge with God. See, Jesus, he was 100% human. We see that right here. And if Jesus needed to find time to rest, to get away, to be away from the crowds, you better believe we need it too. Here's, here's the bottom line, the, the pivot of this morning. If you're going to write anything down, this is the crux of what I want you to write down. Jesus filled himself up with God. Oh, sorry, I didn't give you enough time. Here, let me try that again. Jesus filled himself up with God. He poured into himself. He went into the wilderness, into the desolate places to be alone with God, to pray for God and with God. He went away to be filled with God for the purpose of emptying himself to others. Jesus knew he needed to fill himself back up because of what's about to happen in our story. Chapter 1, verse 40, we're introduced to a man with leprosy. A man with leprosy. A man whose name we don't even have. You're about to go to lunch here in a moment. You're about to go to lunch, and your waiter or your waitress, they're going to have a name for you, to you. They're going to have a name, but this man, in our story, he has no name. This man's name has, can, has been consumed by his disease, for which at this time there is no cure. Right? This is a man who has been relegated and confined and quarantined to the outside quarters of society. He has been prohibited from normal human relationships. He has been caused to live in desolation. This man is a leper, and lepers don't get near to anybody else. Leviticus 13, it gives us a snapshot of what this man's life probably would have looked like. And I, I understand, Leviticus 13, it often reads like a Whole30 book instead of, uh, instead of a devotional with all of its dietary laws. It, it reads like a, like a dermatology manual, right, versus a devotion. You don't go to Leviticus to get a little you know, upbeat step in your, in your life, in your walk with God. I get that. But it does give us prescriptions. It does give us an idea of what this man experienced. Look at this, 1345. Anybody with such a defiling disease 
must wear torn clothes, they must let their hair be unkempt, and they must cover the lower part of their face, and they have to cry out, unclean, unclean. Keeps going. And as long as they have this disease, which there was no cure, as long as they have this disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone, and they must live outside the camp. I can only imagine that the greatest pain of this particular issue is not the pain that is physical, though I'm sure there was some, but it was probably a pain that was emotional, the pain of isolation, which maybe you have experienced as well. So now you understand the significance of this phrase, a man with leprosy. A man with leprosy who had no name. Think about this. A man with leprosy, a nameless man with leprosy who had no name approaches the man whose name is above every name. The names that you allowed to define you, this man's was leprosy, yours is something different. Because our problems, our issues, they often have a tendency of defining us entirely, don't they? And maybe it's not to you, but it's for somebody you know who defined you by it. Right? This man's problem was leprosy, and that was his definition. His disease wholly defined who he was. And so this nameless leper approaches Jesus, and I don't think we fully grasp what that looks like. I don't think we fully understand what that meant. So I'm going to do something right here. Uh, people in the sound room, I didn't test this, but I, I'm hoping it will be okay. Just bear with me here. One. This is the distance. 50 paces. And this isn't just the distance that this man was to keep from Jesus. This is the distance this man had to keep from everybody. 50 paces. Look at the distance. 50 paces. He could could be around other people, but keep your distance. This this man, he could come to church if he wanted to, but he'd have to stay out here so so that whatever he had wouldn't get spread to you. He, He could be a part of what we're doing, but at a distance. Do you see this? So I want you to think about something for a moment. I want you to think about those 50 steps that this man had to take. I want you to think that, that, that there was something about Jesus. There was something about Jesus that was so alluring, so attractive, 
that, that this man was willing to break every social and political and religious and personal protocol because he wanted to be next to Jesus. That this man had to take 50 steps, 50 steps that he didn't get to take in anybody else's life. He had to take 50 very hard, very difficult steps to be next to Jesus. And this man, he did everything wrong, didn't he? He did everything wrong. This man didn't shout out, unclean, unclean. This man, this man he didn't define himself by the disease that was very visual, visually apparent. This man didn't even keep his distance that he was supposed to keep. He took 50 long steps. A man with leprosy came to Jesus. And what does it say? What does the text say that he did? fell on his knees. I want you to imagine, when was the last time that you fell on your knees in front of a good God, in front of your Savior, that you fell on your knees because this is the only chance that you have? Do you see the desperateness in this man's voice? Do you hear it? I mean, this man with leprosy, he's basically saying, Jesus, you're my last shot. Either you heal me or you reject me, but you're the only chance that I have. A man with leprosy came to Jesus. Maybe you've been here. I don't know. I don't know if you've had to take 50 steps like that in your own life. I don't know if you've ever fallen to your knees because it's the last chance that you have. I don't know if you've ever been outcasted in the way that this man would have experienced his entire life. And maybe it hasn't happened to you, but maybe it is, you have done it to somebody else and you don't even realize it. You see, because while leprosy isn't a widespread phenomenon in today's world, right, there are characteristics, there are life choices, and there are opinions that make other people unclean in your opinion, aren't there? The homeless, the girl who's pregnant out of wedlock, the homosexual, the mentally unstable, the one with AIDS, the Republican, the Democrat, the addict, the prostitute, the felon. You see, there's many, there, there are many political and social and religiously correct ways that Jesus could have responded to that leper. But what does he do? He reaches out his hand and he touches him. And I want you to notice what happens in your text. Look at it. Read it. Notice what happens in the text. When Jesus reaches out and touches this filthy, contagious outcast, it is not the leprosy, it is not the evil that infiltrates Jesus, but it's Jesus' holiness that infiltrates him. Do you see that? Jesus, in the moment that he touched, he touched the leper. In that moment, Jesus reminds us of two profound truths that I want you to walk away with this morning. And the first one is this. Jesus recognized that all of the time that he spent with God recharging, all the time that he just spent in the wilderness recharging and praying to God, that all of that meant nothing if he wasn't willing to extend God's love and God's grace to the people who needed it the most. Jesus could have been the most informed, the most put together, the most faithful person who walked the earth, 
But he knew that if he was not willing to share God's love and grace, if he was not willing to touch that leper, in all that time that he spent praying, it would have been for nothing. And the second truth that Jesus reminds us in this moment is that holiness will always defeat uncleansliness. That love will always defeat hate. It reminds me of one of my heroes, a quote from one of my heroes, and probably one of my favorite quotes from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And church, say it with me. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Do you believe that? Do you actually believe that? And start living it. If we want to drive out the darkness and the hate and the evil in this world, then we can't replace it. We have to push it out. And we have to push it out in the way we love people, in the way we treat people, in the way we be Jesus to people. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And there's one more jolting shift. In Mark's, at the end of Mark's first chapter. And this is going to be our conclusion this morning. You see, Mark begins this narrative with Jesus on the inside. And who's on the outside? The leper, right? Very clearly. The leper is the guy on the outside. He knows where he belongs. And Jesus is in the inside crowds. He's in the synagogues. He's in the towns. He's talking with important people. But by the end of chapter 1, that radically shifts, doesn't it? Have you read it? Read it. It shifts. Because when Jesus reached out and touched this leper, he didn't just heal him. He traded places with him. Like Jesus, because of what Jesus did in this leper's life, Jesus was now forced to stay in lonely places. He was no longer allowed to go into the synagogues. He was no longer allowed to go in public places. Jesus traded places with this leper. Because of what Jesus did, because how the leper responded, didn't go to the priest, didn't keep it secret like Jesus asked him to, Jesus could no longer proclaim his message openly. You see, from the very beginning of Jesus' story, from the very beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus is bearing the evil doings and the injustices of others before the cross is even in the distance. He, Jesus, is fulfilling what Isaiah proclaimed, that he will justify the many as he bears their iniquities. And if Jesus did that for a stranger without a name who suffered from leprosy, why do you think he wouldn't do it for you as well? Jesus allowed, think about this, Jesus allowed the weight of death to consume him and to destroy him so that we wouldn't experience its eternal sting. We have life because Jesus traded his. And I, and I think Mark ends the first chapter of his gospel, by asking us a profound question by bringing this to our attention. 
Why wouldn't you want to follow that king? 